This is Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the most listened to podcast for parents by parents. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning into Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. This is the talk show podcast for parents. I'm J.R. Celeste, your host and publisher of Successful Parenting Media. Now, I want you to share this broadcast with all of your friends and your followers. Don't forget to leave your comments and questions, and we'll do our best to answer them after the show. So this episode is about Black Motherhood 2021. Can we thrive? And my special guest to the show today is Tanya Hales, who is the founder of the Black Moms Connection, a Toronto-based Facebook group for mothers with over 20,000 members across the United States and Canada. Welcome to the show, Tanya. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Let's just talk about some facts. And I can hear your kids in the back, which is just fine because this is a parenting show. So <laughs> don't you fret. Don't worry about it. Okay. But I want to go over some facts in, about black moms. Black women are four times more likely to experience a pregnancy related death than white women in the United States. And black babies are four times more likely to die than white babies in the United States. And I know you're in Canada, but I'm going to be talking a lot about the United States today. But we we are also, though, one of the most highly educated groups, black women in the United States. We often pursue terminal degrees like PhDs. That's us. But this also means that we have the highest debt with student loans trying to get that education, right? And now we have, on top of all this, the pandemic, where it's reported that only like 7% of moms have been doing well during the pandemic, and a, a whopping 78% of moms says the biggest struggle is worrying about their family's health, both mentally and physically. That's a lot on us, right? It's, it's <laughs> so, always a lot on us as Black women, it seems. Now, now, one of the ways that we have always empowered the Black family to thrive is through our village, right? And it's been really difficult because many of us no longer have that village or we've been separated from our village due to the pandemic, at least our physical village. But Tanya, you started the Black Moms Connection in Canada. Can you uh, tell me about the mission of your group? Yeah, so we started it in 2015 as an, a Facebook group because most mom groups weren't very diverse spaces. And so, you know, started it with 12 of my friends and I was like, build it, they will come. And it didn't quite work out that way. So in 2016, we went from 400 to 4,000 in two months. It was directly tied to Black Lives Matter in the U.S. And moms needed a space to say, I'm afraid for myself, I'm afraid for my son, and have these very culturally relevant conversations to us. So it's foremost a, a safe space for Black mothers to share, connect, get resources, and chat with each other. And now we're an online global village. We've got chapters in Asia, we've got chapters in Atlanta. Um, you know, so it's it's been beautiful to be an online village before everyone was forced to become online villages. That's great. Do you have a chapter in California? Because <laughs> we, we a, need one here. <laughs> we have an LA chapter. It's small, okay. but you know what? It's, it's growing. It's how they always start, right? It's um, absolutely you just need people who want to connect. So yeah. Now, what kind of resources does your group offer? 
So we do events. So we'll have like a financial literacy summit. We'll do a black motherhood conference where we talk about everything from sex to education, uh, fertility, adoption, whatever topics are relevant to us as black mothers. We do programs. So we have a financial literacy program. It's an eight week masterclass where every week they're sitting with a black financial professional teaching them, you know, credit, savings, investing, wills and estates, all the things that are going to help the moms right now where they are and then build general generational wealth for their children. Uh, and then we also launched last year a ton of different financial grants where, you know, moms, sometimes they needed food, formula, there was housing insecurity. So we were paying rents and mortgages um, or at least making a payment, not the whole entire thing, unfortunately. So really just being able to, I'm very big on the takeaways, the tangibles. What what can I put in your pocket? What can I put on your table that's going to make a difference to your life in the life of your babies? Now, have you you've done a global summit online yet? Because you talked about summits. So this year we're going to do our first virtual summit. It'll be in October. So that's our financial literacy uh, weekend. And it's going to have a Canadian stream and a U.S. stream because we know that the financial systems are not the same on both sides. So we're really excited about that. And then, you know, stay tuned to see when we bring back the BMC summit. Um, People have been asking me and I'm like, y'all, I'm one person. That's the thing. One person wearing a lot of hats. Like, it, you're, you get tired and you have a family. So I, we understand them. And, and um, you know, I'm kind of we're in the same boat over here. I contract out to a lot of people, but I'm one person. And yeah. so I understand. And, uh, you know, I, I applaud what you're doing. So this topic is about black women, women thriving. And I want to see um, the black community go from um, just surviving to thriving. That's our goal, right? So what do you see is the number one problem that's keeping the black family from thriving? Well, one of it, it stems from the fact that like us as black women, we don't ask for help. We're very mm. bad at doing that. And it's just like, hey, I need help with, I just need five minutes or an hour to run to the store, right? Instead of like packing them up and, and bringing them with you. Um, hey, I'm like $100 short on my rent this month, instead of like figuring out who, you know, the Peter and the Paul to rob to pay things, just ask someone, there's people in your life who would be happy to give. And yes, there's so many of us, you know, navigating our own journeys through this pandemic. But there's also people who are doing relatively well, and who would help you if you just asked. So I think that stem, that's the first part, but I think just as a community, we don't collaborate, right? We, we're very insular. Once we have a connection to something, um, we don't want to share it. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, I can't put you on because I had to, I struggled to find this information. So you got to struggle. And I'm just like, no, if, listen, my Instagram, like if I love something, I am loud about it. I want everybody to go to that restaurant. I want everybody to shop from that store because I want everybody to win. And, and that is my philosophy. And so that's why I'm lucky to be in a position of like, you know, a, a abundance because I don't have a scarcity mentality. Um, And so I think those are the kind of things that are holding us back. And some of it is rooted in generational trauma, what was passed down from our grandparents to our parents and and what our parents passed on to us. But we as parents have a a job to do better for our children so that they are not passing along the same traumas. 
Absolutely. That's one of my pet peeves about people who make it in this world is that they hold their, their contacts, they hold their um, resources in closely, and they won't share them to bring someone else up. And they will give the excuse, well, I had to work hard for it. Well, that's great. But bring someone else up and let's change the whole world. Let's just change our whole community. Uh, because you worked hard for it, so you broke through. Now let other people walk through. Um, you were that, that leader, that change person who created that change. So yeah, that's one of my, my pet peeves. It's about holding these resources so tight. It's like you can only be the one black person that did it. No, help others. Don't be that one. You know, so we celebrate that a lot, right? I'm the first black person did it. Great. Now, who are you helping to do it? So you're not the only one. That's really important. Um, now, let me ask you, during the pandemic, I know you have a Facebook group. So um, they, I'm sure people have posted some of the things they've been struggling with. We know and you said you had a grant for rent, for instance. So we know rent is way up there, like because people have lost their jobs. Moms have lost their jobs and they have to struggle to feed their kids. So what other challenges have you seen people posting about um, during this whole pandemic year? So I think it's them, yeah, housing insecurity, day to day. So food insecurity is a really big one too, right? If you put all your money towards your rent, that leaves less money for food. If you put your money towards feeding your babies, it, you know, like it's this constant shuffle back and forth. And a lot of people are really kind of stuck. If you've been working in a job for so long and now all of a sudden it's closed and you were doing that one thing. And of course, now you've been thrown into the job market unexpectedly with thousands of other people. People are really struggling with figuring out how to pivot. And um, and then also just if they've had a side hustle, how to level that up and turn it into an actual business. So we're seeing a lot of conversations about becoming entrepreneurs and figuring out, you know, multiple streams of income. You know, people who weren't really focused on the investing in the savings and, and their money before money is a huge topic of conversation now and in so many different facets, whether it's how do I get a raise? How do I leave, leave this job and go to better? You know, should I go back to school and, and get those degrees like you were mentioning up at the top? You know, all of these things, because those are financial decisions. So we're seeing a lot of that too. Everything is tied back to either finances or on the other side, it's a lot of mental health, mental health of ourselves, of our relationships, and of course, of our kids. Okay. What about, I know education was a big deal with children trying to do online schools because schools were thrown into this. They had no transition. They had no idea how to properly manage online learning. And mostly what I've heard um, from parents, the way they were doing it is all wrong. If you speak to homeschool parents, they will tell you that it's nothing like that. Um, it shouldn't be like the way it, it ended up being where they're in school all day online watching a screen. We already know that screen time should be limited um, because it causes everything from hyperactive kids on down. So but the schools didn't take any of that into consideration. And, you know, you know, there were other ways, better ways to do it. But no one had time to consult to actually do it the right way. So. But moms and dads struggle because they're not teachers. You know, this is a skill. It's a skill to be a teacher. And they had to be there as the biggest support ever, probably in their lifetime for their children during their academic studies during the pandemic. So I saw parents cry, break down. I mean, break 
down because they were just done pulling their kids out of school. Some considered homeschooling, which I think was the best option because once you have that village, that network of other homeschool moms, you, they'll teach you how to do it. But ha, what have you heard about or some stories that you heard online about parents trying to manage that part of the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. So in the early part of the pandemic, there was a lot of, okay, I'm going to become a homeschool mom now. How do I do this? How do I prepare? And you are exactly right. Homeschooling and virtual learning are two very different things, right? Homeschooling, there's still a curriculum. You know, you're, you are doing the teaching of your children in a home environment, whereas virtual learning, all these kids are doing is learning from someone through the screen. And, and so the how they learn, no one took into account, like some kids don't learn really well, but then there are also kids who are flourishing, right? I, my son, I put him back in person, even though it's been back and forth, we've been shut down off and on throughout the school year because he loves putting his hand up, getting the star on his quiz. Like he's externally motivated, those kind of things. Whereas, you know, for him, his computer is for play and for fun, you know, maybe play video games going on YouTube. So for him to associate that one device with education, it was it was a really difficult transition. And so it was really just, you know, like you said, a ton of parents just like, I can't do this. I can't work and, and help with math and try to be a good, you know, wife and then check up on my parents and like watch the news to see what's happening with vaccines. Like it's too much. And so I am really worried because we already know black and brown kids are always the ones who are going to be left behind. Um, I'm worried about the kids whose parents don't have the luxury, A, of working from home and B, taking the time to engage with their children's education. Because it is a luxury to work from home. There's tons of us, especially black and brown women, who are frontline workers, we're the healthcare workers, we're the PSWs, we're the nurses, um, we're the teachers, where we have to leave our kids in daycare to go to work. And so, you know, all of those things are exasperated um, when we're talking about how Black parents had to transition into this uh, education. Um, and then recently, you know, was able to do uh, an interview with the Associated Press and just talking about some of the benefits. And one of the unseen ones is you think about the teachers who are biased against Black kids. Now they're removed from that situation. They're removed from a, an environment that's not healthy for them, whether they were being bullied by classmates or they were being discriminated against by teachers. And so like all the microaggressions that us as black people would have to face when we were going into the office, our children didn't have to face going to the schools either. So there's, I mean, that's a tiny, tiny silver lining for sure, but at least it's some positive of this whole entire thing. Right. And and that is definitely a problem in schools as a former teacher, being, um, you know, a handful of the black teachers in particular schools that I taught at. I can tell you, especially in the South, that um, discrimination, t teachers just have that, um, that bias automatically, a lot of white teachers, um, just unconscious bias a lot of times, but a lot of times it's just bias against our children and you wouldn't know it because they're gonna be nice in your face but yep. when you hear them talk about children even administrators behind the scenes our children my head snapped around a couple of times you know <laughs> when I heard things and I had to actually defend our children and I was that teacher that the children can't black children came to because to complain about the administration because they would tell me things and I was like 
You know, for instance, I got in trouble for wearing this dress. It's in, it's down to my knees in the front, but because I have a butt, it raises up in the back. And now I got, you know, an infraction because, or disciplinary action because my dress is too short, but any other girl wears this, it would be fine. And I'm like, yes. And you should not have gotten it because your dress is just fine. There's, you know, so I'm the one. And then I would go to the administration and be like, look, she's black girl. She got a butt. Okay. <laughs> you got to let her go. So, yeah. And then I heard other teachers. Right. We are built a little differently sometimes. And, you know, I'm not saying white girls can be built that way because they are, but it's just like they will pick on our kid first. If you, you know, it seems that way. And I, I mean, I've seen it over and over again. And in addition to that, you know, I've heard, um, Kids like our black boys, black boy I've seen with charisma. He could be himself, you know, saying to you on a beach, beautiful smile. He, he, and he, but he can't sit still. He goes from classroom to classroom because he wants to greet his teachers with or without a pass. Got in trouble all the time. Saw a little white boy, same age, same thing. He's going to be something someday. He's going to go somewhere. Mm. Same teacher. I was like, what's the difference between these two? So I've seen it. That was my biggest example that really just woke me up was this one teacher was talking about on two different days, two different kids, same age, doing the same things. Only difference is one's black and one's white. The one's white is going somewhere because he has charisma. The other one, he's a troublemaker. He wasn't doing anything differently. So know that it exists out there. It really does. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and they're quick to like, oh, um, put them in special needs classes, put Mm -hmm. them on drugs, all these other things. I had something similar too. My son was starting a new school, very white affluent neighborhood. So he's the chocolate chip and the cookie. There's like maybe two other black kids in the whole school. And I get a call from the the vice principal and she's just like, oh, I just wanna let you know there was an incident in the hallway with your son and another student. And I was like, what? And And then as I dug deeper, because I am who I am, right, I used to chair my son's parent council at his previous school, I was just like, okay, so tell me exactly what happened. And it just turns out that they were just horsing around. The other kid, he was, he tripped, he fell, my son grabbed his arm to try and save him from falling. So she made it sound like she assaulted him. And if I wasn't engaged, and if I wasn't the type to dig deeper, then I wouldn't have really gotten to the bottom of that. And so I was like, well, it turned, it seems like they just were two seven-year-old boys in the hallways not doing what they were supposed to do. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, so he didn't assault another student. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, okay. So, you know, let's be really clear. But then that day when we're walking home from school, I had to tell my son this, like, hey, and this is my first lesson in racism to my son, who's seven, saying, you don't get to get in trouble the way that your classmates do. You're going, they're going to punish you harder. It just is going to be how it goes. And that is a, a, a horrific thing to have to do as Black parents. And so anytime people are telling me, like, oh, well, why do you have a group for just Black moms? I'm like, because we have to parent differently. We have to prepare our children. You know, they, we don't get to just parent them. We have to prepare them. And it's heartbreaking, but it's it's the society that we live in and we don't have a choice. He's seven at seven years old. You, you have to prepare them. It should not be that way, but it is. And I understand it. I understand it 100%. The, um, during the last probably four years, I'll just leave it with that. The last four years or so, I've gotten calls to advocate for parents in the same position where their child went to in a mostly white school or was the only black child in the classroom. 
and they started getting picked on or something happened and their child was punished harshly. Um, one incident, the child, straight A student, but every time he would walk by this one boy, he would punch him in the stomach or slap him in the face. And he didn't do anything for probably the first three to four incidents, but tell his mom. And his mom said, did you tell the teacher? Yes, yeah, she didn't do anything. All right, well, mm-hmm. we need to talk to the administrator. That next day, as they were walking, he was walking down the hall, and the, the kid was walking um, the opposite way in front of him. As he passed him, he punched him in the stomach again, and he hit him back. And then all hell broke loose. Of right? course. Now he's the aggressor. He's going to have this on his school record. Everything went down to, against this black boy. So I, you know, my advice always to parents is if you're not getting help from the teacher, the administrators, to go to the school board and put yourself on the meeting agenda. And because there are news reporters there, you find them as well. And make sure you tell your story loud and clear and let them know you will not accept this at all. And change needs to happen before you leave that meeting that night. Um, so, yes, absolutely. I've been hearing this more and more over the past four plus years that um, this is happening in schools, mostly schools where we're the only one, which gives us, you know, I wish we could get more of our schools out there for us that you know are high quality academic schools. And I think it's a matter of time, but we will get there. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. Go ahead. You, did you want to piggyback on that? <laughs> yeah, I did because you brought up so many really good points that I was just like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, you know, I know that Canada, there's like, we have this good brand of like, we're a utopia, but here in Toronto, which is the largest city, so it's like New York City, um, 49% of black kids will be suspended by the time that they are, they've graduated from high school. That means half of the black children in the, in their country's largest school board will be suspended. So it's not necessary. And while it's probably bad in white predominant schools, we also have to think like even the areas where they are black, where they're surrounded by black students, they're not, they're not uh, black teachers. It's still white teachers in these very black and diverse schools who are teaching. And because they've seen so many things, they just give up on these black kids so early. They're in there because, oh, I want to make a difference. But then they build all these biases, like you said. And, you know, it's it's really difficult. Um, and we advocate the same thing. If something happens at the school, you go up the, the food chain. It's like, okay, the teacher didn't do anything. Go to the principal. Principal didn't do anything. Go to the school board trustee. And, you know, and then you're a member of parliament and government that, you know, I'm, I'm very much like, I'm very loud <laughs> and I, everyone's got a boss. And I'm just like, at some point in time, like it's those people who need to be held accountable um, for the decisions that they're making. Cause these are like, these are lifelong impacting decisions that these kids, um, these teachers and administrators are making for our children. So absolutely to echo everything you've just said on that part. And you have to be loud. You really do. So there's nothing wrong with being loud when you're protecting your child. Yep. Uh, and, and even down to the curriculum, some of the things that 
teachers are teaching our children that are absolutely wrong. I even hit the news this week with like the George Floyd trial um, and how they're saying, oh, he didn't die from that. Uh, we had one white teacher saying that he died from drug overdose and just false information. And so you can't let them get away with one iota. And that's what I think is happening here since Black Lives Matter, especially, which is a great thing. If you let them um, get an inch, they'll take a mile. So you can't let these people in, whether it's education, politics, whatever it is, get away with one iota. Because once you do, you've just opened a whole Pandora's box again. So I applaud everyone who all the lawyers out there who are on every case, whether it's pro bono or not. um, And I think it's it's a necessary thing. It's necessary that we do that. So uh, let me ask you this. This is a heavy question, but because we need so much reform right now, especially here in the United States with politics, police reform, Uh, we need educational reform. If you, with your group, could put together a plan to help black moms in the black family to thrive, what would your plan look like? That was a heavy question. (laughs) No, it's a heavy question. That is an excellent question. Um, I would make us a powerful uh, influencer group, so to speak. I know that um, I don't want to say lobbyist because that word is solid, but just in terms of you're not going to have any policy about childcare, about policing, about education without talking to us. You're going to ask, we are going to have a seat at every single one of those tables federally, uh, provincially, which is state level, municipally, at every single level that you're going to make a decision that impacts us as a group, we are going to be there to give you our input and say, this white lady and her her motherhood challenges are not the same as my motherhood challenges. And we both equally pay taxes and we, uh, both of our, our voices need to be heard equally. Um, I would also change what gets funded, right? It's great that so many of these organizations and big companies donated to Black Lives Matter nationally, but a lot of that money has not trickled down to the grassroots level of the organizations that are on the ground doing the work, right? And actually giving money to moms so that they can get to work, so that they can go buy that $35 can of formula for their babies. So really just making sure that um, these these companies and governments they're they're doing the work to find the people who are on the ground doing the work. Not to discount Black Lives Matter nationally, but I think it's just the bigger the organization, the longer it takes for you know the the iceberg to melt and the water to trickle down to the people who need it the most, who are thirsty. So I would say that those are two those are the two things, right? You need political capital and you need financial capital to make a difference and do the things that you need to do. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, change takes time, but we definitely need more black moms here in the United States and Congress and local politics um, uh, to make a difference. And we're starting to see that more and more. Unfortunately, a lot of the times um, when we get involved is because something happened to us or our family, which shouldn't shouldn't be the case. But, uh, you know, we'll take whatever, you know, however we got you in there. Unfortunately, you know, if it has something happened to you or your family, you know, we don't, of course, we don't want anything to happen to anyone. But we want more black moms because women think differently than men usually, right? Get them in there. Even black dads, you know, that are on the right page with bringing forth the um, black community and and making them, um, you know, prosperous. Uh, We should have that equity in wherever we live, Canada, United States. 
Um, so I think that's really, really important. I also want to encourage our parents um, to look at your argumentative children. They should become judges, okay? I'm just saying, encourage them when they have that that great um, thing where they can decipher whether something's true or they debate you a lot. Don't just encourage them to be an attorney, okay? Because yeah. that's great to be an attorney. We need those too. Look at them. They're doing a great job out here, Attorney Crump and all of them. But encourage them to take it a step further because we need them sitting in that judgeships that they can um, make a difference when with these cases, especially, you know, of course, they, they have to be appointed here, but for Supreme Court judges, but we need them in higher up places. And like you mentioned earlier, this is the sort of other two things that bother me is that we need more black people in C-suites that that are there to hire more black people when you get into that C-suite. So don't just be sitting there on your laurels and say, oh, OK, this is great. I made it. How about you talk to HR and make sure that they are looking at more diverse people? Because we know if you have a black name on the resume, you're five times likely not to be called uh, for a job. So make sure that those names are not getting put away. And I think that's your responsibility, as well as us owning more stuff. Like we need to own more businesses. And and you you have a grant for that to help um, uh, moms with um, starting their own uh, businesses. And we need to support those businesses. How many black designers do you have in your closet? I'm challenging you guys. Go look. How many black designers do you have in your closet? If the answer is none, start looking. I mean, there's Harlem Fashion Row. That's all they do. Harlem Fashion Row in New York. I tell you to look them up. Um, and just, just like we talked about earlier, support each other with resources when we make it. I think that is so important because that can just change the world. If we all share, you know, each one reach one, what happened to that? What happened to that? Yeah. Uh, I think oh, that's so important. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have to do some lifting as we climb. There's too many people, they get into a position, like you said, and they're they're not looking behind them. And every single person who's successful is standing on the shoulders of somebody else, whether you think so or not, right? I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine, another Black woman, and it's just like, we are doing really hard work right now so that our children have the freedom to pursue whatever they want to do, right? I didn't I didn't have that luxury for my mom. My mom is from the generation, you go to school, you get a job, you that's it. And, you know, and it took her a long time to come around to being proud of me for being an event planner and, and doing well in that industry, Right. We as black parents were very, sometimes we were very limiting about what our children can do, whereas other parents, the world is the oyster for their their children. I'm um, just like if your child comes to you at 18, says, I don't want to go straight to college. I want to take a gap year. I want to travel Europe. Let them go to say, don't get arrested. That's basically going to be my mantra. Don't commit laws in another country because we don't know what those what the jail sentences is and what the penal system is like. I'm just like, you want to go teach English, English in, in Korea? go forth, come back and teach me some Korean language. Let let the world be the oyster for your children as well. And like you said, don't just stop at the attorney. Be like, I, I want to see, you know, justice X, Y, and Z before my daughter's name, before my son's name. You know, don't be gender specific either. Like we have to get out of this limiting mentality. Yes, there's so much scarcity on some fronts, but there's also so much potential. There's so much opportunity. There's so much wealth. Sometimes you have to go and create it and it's not going to be overnight. You know, it's going to take some time. Start a business today. It might take you a minute before you're actually eating off of that business. But, you know, don't just be like, oh, well, my friends and family didn't buy. So, 
you know, it's not a successful business. Well, your friends and family is not your target market. You got to do research. Like if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you got to do that work. And there's people out there who will help you do that, who will help you build properly. But again, it comes back to wanting to ask for help, looking at the people who are in the position that you want to be and reaching out. And if those people are not lifting as they climb and they're not offering to be a mentor or they're not offering to be a sponsor and saying, hey, there's a job at this um, at my place that I think that you'd be excellent for. I'm going to put you up for that. You know, there's different ways that we can affect change. Not all of us are going to run for politics because it's a it's a tough show. You got to rely on white people to to see the vision that you have as a black person. And sometimes they just can't they can't get past that. But, you know, run for politics, start a business, tutor, mentor, you know, shop black. You know, that that's that's so easy to do with Instagram. You pick, click a hashtag black business and go forth. You know, check it out on Twitter. The social media has made it way too easy for us to support each other with a like, with a share, with a click. It doesn't always have to be about money. Sometimes, you you know, it's just about amplifying each other and putting each other on. So in that way, when that person becomes successful, they're like, you know what? I remember when I was begging for likes and I was celebrating like four sales a week and now I do four sales per minute. You know, those are the people who will say, I got you. Let me mentor. Let me bring someone else in. We have to get out of this mentality that there's only one right way to do things, to flourish, to grow as a community. Absolutely. I I love that. Find a black business and go forth. That should be a t-shirt. Okay. Find a black business and go forth. I love that, Tanya. That was awesome. Let me ask you, what is next for you in your group? Oh, gosh. Um, I have so many lofty goals. Like the list is really long. Um, My goal is to um, have our first building. So I want a a community cultural hub where there's resources, there's a library, there's a place where people can have their their meetings if they're a nonprofit, have their galas, have their, you know, record their podcasts, like a community center, but also has a child care center inside. Um, that's 24 hours. And I say that specifically because we as Black women are more likely to have more than one job or do shift work. And the current daycare system only just markets to people who work nine to five jobs. And that's not where society is right now. And that's not where it's going. So the building in the child care center, um, a publishing company, uh, a child welfare agency. I got huge, huge, very expensive goals for what our organization um, can do um, and just get more people in, involved in our in our village, right? And if there's a not a, a BMC chapter in the city that you live in, reach out to me and chances are I'm, I will get the, you a logo and, you know, build it and they will come and then, you know, invite your friends and your sisters and your aunties, start having conversations, being on the ground, what Black woman is running where we live that we need to support and rally behind, you know, who's launching a, a business, you know, oh, this school is great for Black kids. This school is terrible for Black kids. Those are the kind of localized conversations that we want to see happening. And that's why we create chapters. So that way people can have conversations that are geographically relevant to them, but still also being culturally relevant. So stay tuned. There's tons in the works. I'm always working. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good because it's a constant drive and it's a constant, like, just struggle to get everything Um, as an entrepreneur, where you want it to be. Um, So I wish you the best with that. But do you think 
that you might ever enter politics? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think about it every so often. There was a point when I was uh, my son's uh, parent council chair. I was like, I'm going to run for school trustee. This is terrible. Um, and every so often I'm like, we need more Black women in there. But then I just think of all the vitriol that comes our way has a woman entering politics. And then the mm-hmm. extra racism has a Black woman. I'm like, ugh. I, I, the problem is you get, don't get to clap back at them because you're supposed to be in this position of like right. power and they're your bosses because the constituents. So I'm like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to just take sexism and racism and not be able to be like, go F yourself. So I have to think about it. <laughs> you know, AOC, she does a great job at clapping back. In a, such a professional, classy way. I just love her. And, and I would vote for her anytime. I think she's what we need, no matter what, you know, people say about her. Because, you know, she's new. She made some mistakes. I get it. But she is what, she's the energy that we need. And we need more of that. Um, so I would love to see more people enter that are like her in that sense. And, and um, make change. She's trying to make change. You know, of course, they're poo-pooing her because she's so young and new but she is really doing her work and I and I really support her a lot but what's we're we're starting to close up so what's the one thing you want moms to know about you or your business it could be anything you are my business um I will say that I I always have to use this opportunity to shout out the people who whose shoulders I'm standing on um, we have an amazing group of Black women who are moms, entrepreneurs, employees, um, wives who take care of the online global village. They're the ones who are doing the vetting. They're the ones reviewing the posts. They're the ones making sure that the environment stays safe, stays safe for all moms. Um, so shout out to our group of admins who do that great, amazing work. And, uh, and you know, we're a small organization. I don't get paid for this work. I'm a board member. There's two of us who do all this work and building these relationships. So, you know, when people see see me in, in the medias and, and all these other things, know that like any money that is collected goes right into the organization in some way, shape or form. It's, you know, a lot of times black organizations, they get caught up when it comes to the financials. And so I'm very, very transparent and saying, hey, I don't take a penny. Um, and my, my goal is to get enough coins that I can hire somebody else to do the work because I, I don't want to do the work. I, I want no plans with budgets and payroll. Um, I want to do other great, exciting things. So that's, that's you know, um, the village would not run without amazing Black women doing the work. Oh, that's great. And I can relate to almost everything you said there. So I get it. Now tell our listeners how they can find you. Like, what's your website? Yeah, so easily blackmomsconnection.com. We're on Instagram, of course, we're on Facebook. Um, yeah, just find us and, you know, reach out if you have a question or a comment or, you know, something that we should know or that we should be doing where you live. Please let us know. Shoot us an email. Um, would love to connect. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on Back Talk today. So I'm glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So I want to thank all of you guys for, for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the talk show and podcast for parents. 
share this broadcast with anyone who needs to hear it and let's get the word out. Be sure you visit our syndicated podcast replays on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Android, and more. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to check out our website at SuccessfulBlackParenting.com, which is full of great content to help you to thrive and not just survive as a parent. I wish you all the best and much success. Take care. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. You can help us to level up by supporting this podcast. All you have to do is go to anchor.fm and search for Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting and then hit the button that actually says support this podcast. I want you to go there now. Go, 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 go. And thank you ahead of time. Thanks for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We'll see you soon.